And welcome into another episode of the Game Theory Podcast. It is in the middle of autumn 2021 when we record this, which is relevant because this content is fodder for beer and dinner table conversations all over the country with bros, and lady bros who love sports. Chris, today we're talking about the college football playoff. It was once a wish. It is now a reality, both as a wish and as a reality. It appears to be... A disaster. So here we go. How are you doing today? You're wearing a not college football jersey, Barry Sanders. No, yeah, I'm. I'm wearing merch from the greatest franchise that has never been good, Detroit Lions. I mean, Sanders is one of the great all-time players, right? And it's a tragedy that he played on such crappy teams. Like we love our Lions. Like we're not, we're never going to stop being Lions fans, but man, they're just not good. I ever. love the the vibe of hey insert name here he was an all-time great to play with the lions so we're at two now we're trending towards three or four perhaps how wonderful that is but chris we're talking about the college football playoff today so i don't remember when the playoff started i don't i'm i'm it was either the fall of 2014 and the game was played in 2015 or it was fall of 2013 the game was played in 2014 i think it was 2014 and the game was played in 2015 i remember the first four playoff teams because the idea was that there was going to be a 14 playoff and a group of people, including Archie Manning and Condoleezza Rice, because why not? We're going to decide those four teams. And if I recall, it was number one seed, Alabama. Number two seed was Florida State. Number two seed was Oregon, Florida State, and Ohio State. Ohio State beat Oregon in the national championship. And now here we go. Uh, Alabama's been in every time. Clemson has been in almost every time. Oklahoma has sort of almost been in every time. And then there's been a rando the rest of the time. The rando's colors are typically red, but sometimes not. Did I get that? Did I nail that? I think I nailed that. Yeah, I think that's basically all we need for the episode. We can just cut right there. Mm-hmm. Correct. So, yeah, no, we're, we're talking college football playoff today. And, you know, for, for those of you out there listening to us who are not American football fans, uh, the college football playoff is a really interesting phenomenon because Americans love football. Mm. We love the sport. We love the NFL, and we love college football. Uh, very different games in terms of quality, in terms of stakes, in terms of affiliations, in terms of how much money they both make. They're different games, but it's the same sport, and we love it on Saturdays and Sundays equally. One of the challenges that we have, though, is that we as a country are just obsessed with figuring out who's the best, mm-hmm. who's number one, who's the champ. And I think, Nick, that problem led us to try to figure it out in college football. In, in the NFL, it makes sense. Yep. You got 30-some teams. You play a regular season. You got a playoff set up. You can figure out who the champ is. But in college, you have over 120 programs at the same division level to say nothing of the programs that are at lower levels who yes. occasionally get competitive. Sure. And so just with how rough the game of football is, how big a toll it takes on these 18 to 22 year old bodies. There's no way you could play enough games to figure out legitimately. Okay. Who's the champ? Who's the best among us? It's not like you could set up a big, you know, basketball tournament like they do with NCAA basketball. So we have a real conundrum. We're torn between wanting to know who's the best and the fact that we can never have a complete data set to determine who really is the best. Yeah. So let's start off by talking about, and I'm, I'm just kind of shooting the shit right now and I don't really remember exactly, but I'm, I'm a big college football person. I get paid to write about some college football teams. And like, I, so I've been in it for like a long time. I've, I've worked in it and I know people that do stuff. Like I'm yeah, not you're a seasoned veteran of the college yeah, football I'm game. I'm not an ESPN analyst, but I'm also not just a fan. It's like, it's like in the middle there. Like I'm a, well, like an ESPN fan. analyst. Yeah. I mean, you could be an ESPN analyst if you wanted it bad enough. They have very low standards, but <laughs> the history of, of who was the champion in college football. The first was the Associated Press beat writers which they all voted at the end of the year who shall be the national champion, and that came after a system of bowl games. So various conferences have traditional bowl games, and whatever they call the conference, it was the teams on the West Coast play the teams in the Midwest, the teams in the South play other teams in the Midwest-South, and then the writers are like, oh, well, Florida beat Texas, they're the national champion, and they vote. But then people started to kind of call bullshit on that, and they thought, you know, the best people to vote on this are not the writers, it's the coaches. So then there were two national championships handed out, and the vast majority of the time it was unanimous. It's like I think the coaches and uh, AP champ, championship were 
two things at the same time. I want to say for like 10 to 20 years, somewhere in there, like not the whole time, but also it hasn't, it's, it, it's not recent that there was a coaches poll. However, and this, what, this is what can happen. There have been times where they disagreed on who the national champion was. So in America, we were like, well, we invented the goddamn computer and the internet. Let's just do, let's let the computer figure it out. Even though we didn't invent the computer. No, we didn't. Uh, take, we'll take, we'll did. steal credit for it. Alan, Alan Turing, Turing did. Yeah, that's correct. See, episode, what number was that? I have no idea. 12. I want to say 12. I think 12. That I'm, sounds I'm right. 70% sure. So, like, let, let's just, computers figure it out. Well, we can't, like, just computers figure it out. This is football. So then they're like, all right, we'll get three groups. We're like, the coaches, the writers, and the computer, and they will decide who the champion is. But then, you get things like two out of three. So in 2003, we had two national champions. I think in 1997, we had two national champions. And recently, we've had multiple people, even like BCS and coaches, but then the AP goes this way. So we're like, well, what the hell? What the hell is this? The computer can't do it. So we didn't buy into the writers. We didn't buy into the coaches because they're biased, right? They hate their own colleagues and stuff. And that makes total sense. Nobody. Of course. Talk about this in my sports podcast next week. Their coaches hate each other, which is hilarious. And then the computer, the computer is kind of the least biased thing. But they're like, but they just, the computer doesn't consider strength of schedule and stuff, even though it totally does. So then our solution was, what if we get the top four teams and we make them play a bowl, and then we make the winners of the bowls play in another bowl, and we'll call that bowl the national championship. So that way we can have our bowls, which people were really fussy about, and then we'll have a national champion. But then... Who gets left out of the tournament is a problem because people are just voting on this. They decided that there's going to be a committee of the 12 apostles of college football shall decide who's going in the playoff. And then you play a playoff, Chris, and I can sit here and make arguments that the team that lost the game was still better and you could vote for them for national champion. Based yeah, on arguments so that are made on teams getting into the playoff. So you, you, you're identifying exactly what the problem is. And the problem is that the system that we have in place right now in college football is no better at identifying who the champ is than any of the other systems we've ever had. Correct. And they're all running up against the same problem, which is that there are too many teams and not enough games to play. There's not enough data for any computer that you build or any algorithm that you write to be able to figure out objectively who's the best. You can't you can pull any number of sports writers and your selection bias is going to skew in one direction or another. And a lot of it's so much of it is based on opinions. Right. And the college football playoff was supposed to add some objectivity into that because you think, okay, well in general, there are some teams that, okay, you could argue a team was better than B team was better than C team is better than D team in any given year in the previous system, the bowl championship subdivision. Uh, what did BCS stand for? Uh, bowl championship series. Bowl championship series. Okay. So it was a series of bowl, one of which was the real one, and the others were just like the second place ones. Well, essentially. Yeah. Eventually, the, the postseason in college football is very, very strange, and it's never been conducive to doing the tournament style. Let's see who is on top at the end of all of this. So the playoff tries to compromise. They say, well, we can't play that many games because the game is really rough, and we have all these bowl tie-ins with sponsorships and ad deals and TV deals and all that, so we can't just say no more bowls. So we'll try to split the difference and turn the bowls into a kind of playoff. But the problem is you only got four teams competing in the playoff. Yeah. It does raise the question of how do you select those teams, and we're still running into that problem, and how do the teams that don't have – biases in favor of their programs ever have a fair shot at being the champ. And right. the point of the playoff is to pit teams against each other to see who actually wins the games. Yep. And if teams don't have a chance to, then they're still left out in the same way they were before. Right. So I want to, I want to step back and take a, take a, a, a philosophical approach and I'm going to keep coming back to this. And it's something that I pointed out to you. I had this observation that's toot my own horn. I don't know, about 10 years ago or so, like when I was 21 and I have been noticing this, and it's become a huge thing. Well, I recently read a book, I don't know, five years ago or so, The History of Sports. And Which was the last book you read, the I think. First, yeah, <laughs> you like that. It's not on the one ones behind me. Um, it, this was the first sports argument, this exact thing. Because, like I said, there have been times where teams would win or lose, and the, the committee of college football or BCS or any voters or whatever would decide that, oh, they lost, but it's fine. We're still going to give it to them. This is the first argument in re recorded history. It was in the Iliad or the Odyssey or something. Odysseus was the greatest chariot racer. <laughs> or something. Yeah, one of those ones by Homer, which may Who or cares may not about be the effective. details? Yeah, old people, Troy, whatever. So um, 
Odysseus was the best chariot racer. Everybody knew that. So they were going to have a race to honor Odysseus. Well, he took second and they awarded him the medal. And everyone in the poem was like, uh, well. And then they just still gave it to him. And then he's Odysseus, so he got it. So glad we solved that problem. We're still having that problem. So Chris, what I noticed was a championship must answer one of two questions. A league at the end of the year, you are either crowning the best team or you're crowning the champion of the system. And those are two different things. For example, in college basketball, 64 teams play an elimination, a, a single elimination tournament. And at the end, that team is crowned the national champion. But in reality, they're the tournament champion. They're the national championship tournament champion. And we all accept them. That's the system everybody buys in. There is no question that in 2015, the University of Kentucky was the best basketball team. However, they lost to Wisconsin in the Final Four. And ergo, they are a champion of nothing. That's the system we buy into in the United States. And it is singular across all of the sports that we play. The goal of baseball is not to be the best team. It's to win the World Series. It's to win the Stanley Cup. It's to to win the NBA Finals. It's to win the Super Bowl. We know that the Patriots are better than the Giants in 2007, but they lost the Super Bowl, and that's the end of that. However, yeah, well, and but that, but that raises the question. I mean, what makes a team better? Yeah, because the point of playing a game is to establish a result of the game, and sure. the winner of the game seems to be the better team, right? I mean, what other what other data could you use? I mean, so, so this is going way back. And in, in high school, I did debate, and I went mm. to this tournament in Salt Lake City one time, and. It was around with three judges, and it's just me and another guy. And this is totally subjective. The judges can pick whichever of us they want. You know, that's just how it goes. There's no objective measure of scoring in debate. And at the end, one guy voted for me, and one guy voted for my opponent. So it came down to this third guy, and he looked at me and said, I think you did a better job in this debate and probably won it. But I marked this guy the winner because I think he's probably has a better chance of winning the tournament in future rounds. Hmm. So this guy made a decision about the result of a contest, a direct head-to-head contest based on how he thought I might have done in hypothetical future rounds versus this other guy. And so when teams, when people look at teams that lose games and say, well, they're still better, but, but they're not though. They, they lost the game. And that's the point of playing the games. Other, I mean, we could we could hypothesize and theorize all day, but the point of playing the game is to establish a winner and a loser. And the losing team doesn't get rewarded just because people like them better. So this Odysseus nonsense, yeah, I mean, anybody can recognize it as ridiculous. Well, that's that's sort of the point of this is that someone was in charge of handing Odysseus the medal, right? And that's the problem. Yep. So what like I'm going to further your point and agreeably disagree with you. Like you're you're right and it, you're not wrong, you're incomplete. So I'm going yeah, see saddle <laughs> but up. Then on I'm, I'm going to well yeah. actually the fuck out of my, you now. My god. So, that's going to be the title of my memoirs. I'm not wrong. Great, oh, that's a great <laughs> title for a memoir. You better yeah, you got to copyright that. If either okay. of our listeners steal that from me, I'm going to be so pissed. So, let's just say for example, another team, I'm just bringing up upsets where we know like probably they're the better team, but it doesn't matter. The the incomplete part of your statement is that the systems that we buy into in the United States and specifically like North American, Canada, NHL, MLB, NFL, etc., is that we all agree on the system of, of what the goal is and so there are games that are sample size and there's like the regular season but then we all agree that the, at the end of that when we pit the better teams against each other that the stakes are higher and so that's the difference so theoretically if if the patriots and the giants played that the patriots would win the majority of the time and the ergo they're the better team however we all agree that this one is more important and then that is like the, the the final right because the patriots and the the giants in 2007 when the patriots were undefeated in the regular season and the giants upset them in the super bowl they did play two games and one of them the patriots won by like three or four points in new york and then the giants won on a neutral field so like if the argument is who's the better team we have incomplete data because there's two points now however the system is Win the one that matters. It doesn't matter that you beat them in New York. This one matters, and so like, everybody shuts up. There's this is a non-argument. It is not an argument. They are the yeah, champions. Th- this kind of reminds me, actually, if if we take this outside the sports world and think like, where might this principle apply? I mean, if you think hard enough about it, it applies to all sorts of situations. The one that comes to mind for me 
is with education. So I'm not a teacher, and I got all the respect in the world for people who are. Uh, sure. We have relatives uh, who, are, who are excellent teachers. You know, uh, we, we, we definitely defer to their, uh, their expertise on this. But one of the perennial problems that teachers face, especially as curriculums become more nationalized and more standardized and, and more requirements come into being for how students do and, and all the metrics and all that, one of the challenges they have is that they have so many tests that their students have to pass. And the tests may or may not exactly align with what they had in mind to teach and might not cover the same material that they had in class. And so the complaint becomes school is just teaching to the test mm. and that's all there is to it. And if you pass the test, great. If you don't, okay, you fail, but either way it's, it's kind of derailing the, the direction of the school in some way. Yeah. The counter argument to that is, and, and I, I hadn't thought of this in, in a while because, you know, just on principle, oh, teaching the test, it sounds bad. But the counter argument is, well, if the test has important material on it, if it has the content that you need to know that you need to be able to do these types of calculations or remember these kinds of dates in history or whatever it is, if it's important enough, then maybe you should teach to the test. If that's a good enough measure of what you're ultimately trying to achieve, then it seems like a reasonable plan to actually just go ahead and do it. Mm. And that's kind of reminding me of the conversation we're having now. Well, okay, if the point is to win the playoffs, then it doesn't really matter how well you do or how hard you try during the regular season as long as you put yourself in the playoffs, give yourself a chance to succeed, and focus on the important stuff, uh, train to the test, as it were, rather than just being a good student. Right. So let's discuss to an example of that and then an example of an alternate system. So I've, I have pointed out, I think, successfully in my argument to you and to others that in North America, the goal is not to become the best team. The goal is to win the championship and the championship is awarded based on a system that is agreed upon by all participants, similar to a government. I, I think that's a good definition of, that might be the most articulate definition of terms you've ever had about anything in your it life. It is alarming how much more intelligent I am when talking about sports. And I really try to round that out. I don't love that about myself. There are it's many, shocking. many books and fine mahogany bullshit in my house. So, so for the listeners who haven't discovered it yet, Nick has a, a, a solo podcast. It's called uh, interesting to see a lot of levels there. Very good name. Yeah. And uh, well, I noticed you're not wearing your glasses today. But uh, on this on this podcast, Nick is just I mean, it's remarkable how well researched and informed and articulate and put together he is. And man, if you guys could see him outside of this podcast, my God, it's not great. Very different story. It's not great. My shirt has pockets. (laughs) He's wearing a shirt that has not like not like the standard breast pocket. He's talking like the under rib. Like, you know, if it was a pockets. hoodie, but it's a nice button-up shirt that has pockets. It's not a joke. Okay, anyway. I, th- I think it's just, I think that's just dunking on women's clothes because they don't have any pockets, and now you're wearing excessive pockets. That's true. Honestly, that's a good point. Well, who said women can't wear this shirt, though, Chris? I don't know what that's, that's about. You know what? That's yeah. a great point, mm-hmm. Nick. Okay, so America, we're, we're, championship. It doesn't matter who the championship. That's right. not the case in Europe, especially in, in, in football or uh, soccer international or whatever you want to call it. We'll call it soccer because we're in America. We're going to call it soccer. We're going to call it soccer. soccer. So in the Premier League and in all of the major leagues, Premier League is the one in England, France, Italy, Germany, they all have leagues. Their goal is to determine who the best team in the league is. And they have thusly created a system that makes it an inarguable thing. Like there is never going to be a situation where I can look you in the eye and say, you know, the Patriots are probably better than the Giants, but the Giants won the Super Bowl. That's not a thing that they do. This is what the system is. They have an even number of teams in the league. In the league, you play each team twice. You play them once at your arena and once at their arena. There's no home field anything. Fair. If you win a game, you're awarded three points. If you tie a game, you're awarded one point. That incentivizes winning. That's game theory, and we will get into that in the NHL one of these days. That will definitely be an episode. If you lose, you get zero points. Get this. The team with the most points is the best team because they won more or lost fewer. Now, that seems like a reasonable system. This is the best part of this. This is the most obvious shit tiebreaker ever. If there's a tie in the standings, the team... Whoever's got the coolest uniforms. I mean... That year, I mean, it's, it's subjective. The ones with the vertical stripes are always my favorite. The team who scored more goals than they conceded, which is the point of soccer, that team gets the tiebreak. 
That's See, it. all this seems reasonable to me. Yes, and then this is the this is the part where I think ties are annoying in the moment, but if they tie in goal differential, they tie. Should have beat someone. Should have fixed it yourself. Incredible. Easy. However, it doesn't create the drama. It doesn't create the war-like thing that the United States likes. And my hypothesis for years has been the problem with college football because you'll notice there's never any arguments about college basketball. There's like the nerds want like the weird teams to get in, but like that doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like I don't like I, I, it's a bigger pool. It's easier to qualify for the college basketball tournament than it is a college football playoff. Correct. Nobody so disputes that. All of nobody. There's no there's this is not a problem in any other sport. It's just a problem in college football. My contention is it's because it's trying to do two things at once. It's trying to have a national championship and it's trying to crown the best team. And therefore, that's why I can look you in the face and say in 2015, Clemson won the national championship game. I still think Bama was better. And I I still think Bama was better. And yet they lost to Clemson. I mean, but you, if the arguments that we would make, right, would be like, who'd you lose to? Who'd you beat or whatever? Well, they both had one loss. Clemson lost at home to Pittsburgh and Alabama lost to Clemson, who's a better team than Pittsburgh. That but Alabama Al- didn't play Pittsburgh. Well, then see, we all, we all know how scary Pitt would be. Yeah. You know what? You know what? I'm saying it. Pitt would have beat Alabama in 2015. There you go. Say this, the system that you have let have lined out for us seems reasonable to me. There are two issues with it though. Mm -hmm. And one of them is game theoretical. So let's start with the obvious here. Well, actually there's, there's three really. The first is a minor issue. The mechanics of football. I mean, there are 32 NFL teams. So if we were going to do this twice a year round Robin, that would mean the season would be 62 games. Mm -hmm. My God, like, could you imagine? Like, they would have to have rosters of, like, eight, 900 players because Correct. everybody Injuries. would just get constantly would, injured. There would be no offseason. You couldn't do it. I mean, yeah. you it, it could not be done. But then, moving forward with the next reason here, or the, the next issue, I suppose, let's say every team splits every game. Mm-hmm. Every team wins against every other team, one time and loses the other time. And let's say lightning strikes and they all give up an equal amount of goals to one another. That framework still lays out the possibility of a tie. Whereas in a playoff system, you have a person who is winning at the end. You, you It's the difference between climbing a pyramid and staying and determining who's standing on a wall at the end. You know, chess tournaments are like this. This It's kind of like a pared down version of a round robin. It's a Swiss system, and everybody plays in every round of the tournament. Sure. And that means everybody gets to participate, and that's fun. And there's a possibility of tying at the end. I mean, there might not be an individual champion for that event. You could make a playoff, but it would have to be a playoff, and that would change the format. Sure. And that actually gets into the bigger issue here, and this is where the game theory really gets into it. We've talked about this before on the show where if you're playing a game, cooperate, don't cooperate, rock, paper, scissors, etc. The dynamics of the game change if you know where the end point is versus if you don't know where the end point is. Sure. So with the European soccer system, that's a really great idea. Just do a round robin, have every team play an even number of games, and you know odds are you're going to have a champion at the end. But why would you bother with having that as a season when you could just have that as a continuous thing, just sure. make the schedule go on forever and ever and ever. And so that's one of the things that I think is useful for us in t- determining who like a national champion is and, or who, determining who the best program is. We have to do it cyclically by year. Otherwise we would just never end the discussion. That's mm-hmm. why we have a 2021 national champion and a 2020 national champion. And, and every year, because we go by seasons, otherwise there's no way to draw the line anywhere because people are going to keep playing sports forever and ever. It's sure. always been a part of human culture and it's always going to be a part of human culture. So we have to artificially draw these boundaries. And, you know, if you're in the premier league and you think, well, okay, this is really cool, but you know, in a given year, a team might have like a flukish season and they'll come out of nowhere and they'll just win a bunch of games. And even though they're not necessarily like the best, you know, like you can have a good winning streak for a long time and just maybe that'll Leicester. just say Leicester. Right, right. Yeah. Leicester. <laughs> I have got all the respect in the world for you guys. Not enough to say the name that you want me to say, but Leicester. Uh, And so 
if you're the Premier League, you think, well, we're still trying to figure out who the best team is. Like, even though these guys won this year, well, why don't we just take an average of two years? Because yeah. that gives a more representative look. And they're like, well, okay, two years, that's fine. Why not, like, every five years? Why not the decade? Like, who's the best team of the decade? Well, why bother stopping there? And the point is, you could have this conversation ad nauseum, but you got to draw the line somewhere. Otherwise, you get into a never-ending cycle of just playing games to play games, the rankings are constantly changing, and there's no way to say at any given point who's the best. Yeah, you have because, to draw seasonal lines. I completely agree. Right, and I think it's, right. it's different in college because um, you have it's theoretically an all-sports, an amateur situation where once a player reaches a certain age, they're no longer eligible to be a part of that. Theoretically, yeah. you know, uh, David Beckham could still be playing in the Premier League. Right, like he could age in or age out. He could play for twenty five years if he wanted to. And sure. Tom Brady, the quarterback, is playing. He's forty fucking three. Although, actually, let me let me look this up real quick. Yeah, I saw a news article about this woman who is a college sophomore mm-hmm. who is on the golf team at her university. This has become a new trend, by the way. And she is sixty two years old, sixty three years old. Mm-hmm. NBA champion J.R. Smith is a college golfer he would be a scholarship player but he refused the scholarship obviously because he doesn't need it so this is so this is debbie blunt mm. b-l-o-u-n-t debbie blunt 62 year old college sophomore playing on the golf team uh you have got to give it up for a person like that i respect I mean, that for sure you just have to say wow that's impressive but i i can't figure out what actual university she's at yeah why would we want facts in our report <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's a fascinating story, but it is. It had that, that kind of you hear about that kind. Of, I remember there was a a fifty nine year old linebacker at South Dakota School of Mines about ten. I think years it was. Ago. Uh, I think it was South Carolina State. You're thinking South Carolina, of. sure. I knew it was a South something. <laughs> Dakota, Carolina, very same similar place. in a lot exactly, of ways. Exactly the same place. Mm-hmm. But my my point was that you they age out. Like it's, so it's not like right. a, a age from a, from birth. It's age from eligibility. So there's four to six years depending on how often you get hurt or sit out. Um, so that, but like in college, it makes sense to do that because you cycle through players incredibly quickly if you recruit properly or, or, or whatever. But at the, like the thing that I think I want to build off of your game theory point is that when I, the point I just made with, uh, the New England Patriots in 2007, we have one game against the Giants in New York. We have one game against the Giants at a neutral site. It's the same thing as rock, paper, scissors with the Nash equilibrium. We're like, they just keep playing. If it's that close twice, they just keep playing and keep playing and keep playing and keep playing. And we saw this last year. The New Orleans Saints beat the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers handily twice. However, the Buccaneers eliminated them in the playoff, and ergo, the Buccaneers are better because they won the one that mattered quite a bit more, and everybody agreed on that. So nobody gets screwed, which is what the, right. that's the problem with college football is that no one's agreeing on any of this. You can win a big game and think like, oh, that game is going to put us over the top. The committee must honor us now. Well, they don't have to do shit. They right. Can, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you, you can think back to some of the games last year, you know, and, and last year was a weird year with Penn COVID. State comes and, to mind, Chris, Penn State. What's comes up? To mind. Penn State comes to mind. Penn State comes to mind. Yeah. So so that was what, 2018? Yeah. 16, 17. Yeah. Yep. Penn State beats Ohio State head to head, but they have another loss uh, somewhere else that the committee deemed to be more important than actually beating Ohio State head to head. So Ohio State wasn't even the best team in their division. Correct. And they were selected to go to the playoff. And, and to me, that, that's just more evidence that, like, this isn't a playoff. This isn't, like, an objective measure of what teams are better. This is an invitational. Correct. And the Ohio State fan base is slightly more likely to spend a bunch of money. Uh, look, Ohio State fan base, if, if this is you, if I'm talking to you, stop being the way you are, please, for all of us. Yeah. But, right. And, and last year, I mean, you know, with, with stories like Coastal Carolina, one of the – I think they're the second youngest – division one team and they're just skyrocketing they're just crushing everybody they had that awesome game with BYU Iowa State they've always been a little brother and it looks like they're going to continue to be again but man they had a phenomenal season they had a great team great coach and I remember after a couple of weeks in the college football was college football playoff committee was putting out the rankings and I remember one journalist asking at a press conference after the release of the rankings, if the results of the games don't matter, why do we continue to play them? Because the teams that are winning impressively aren't getting as much benefit of the doubt as the teams that have always been good. And to me, 
that means that that illustrates that the college football playoff, the college football scene is really about who has the best reputation. And there's no real interest from the higher powers who are pulling all the strings and signing all the contracts and making all the money in determining the national champion. There's more interest in writing compelling storylines. And by compelling storylines, I mean storylines that involve the fans that are willing to fork over the most money. That and, and, and it, like, it's, it's really like disappointing. Money, like the rich alumni and, and right. biggest graduating classes and stuff. Like, yeah, and, and look, and I'm, I'm saying this as as probably the biggest beneficiary, In certainly the of the last of athletics. System. Yes, correct. Right, right. So, and I'm going to argue that that's earned. I mean, Notre Dame is the storied program in college football, mm-hmm. but because of that, Notre Dame gets the benefit of the doubt, and we've been selected for a playoff twice, lost twice. But, but that that actually gets at another issue. So Oklahoma's been clowned on a bunch too, and people make the joke, "Well, yeah, we should never invite them back again because they'll lose." Ha ha ha. But, you know, if people are taking that seriously, they're fools because that was a different Oklahoma team and they're playing against a different team in a different playoff in a different year. So this there's this weird tension between, OK, we have to look at the results this year. And what do I remember about the program from decades past? There's something and worse that's just and a more bizarre, sinister. bizarre tension. There's, wor- there's something worse and more sinister. And I, I think that it clouds my judgment a lot, but I, I honestly don't care because it turns out to be so accurate uh, so often. And that is. A, recruiting, because recruiting is such a big industry and gets so many clicks. Like, well, I know those players because those are big national recruits. So, like, well, they have the more recruits, so they're clearly better. And then the second thing is draft prospects. Um, And that clouds my judgment quite a bit. And I still, it does cloud my judgment. However, when the dust settles on the teams that I thought that were good in in five years down the road and all those players are freaks in the NFL, I think, well... I was right. Like that team is better. Like those guys are better, but those two things are not part of winning football games. And as a result of that, like how can you, you can't rank Alabama anything other than one because they always win, which is a past. So that's not fair, but it's true. So both things are accurate and they also have the best players, but it's not an individual sport. So like, what am I supposed to do? Like if I'm projecting, um, but you're right. Like when the, the problem is that when we get, when we exclude the, the top 1%, which is Alabama and Clemson over the past 10 years, and we adjust the bottom, the lines on the next group are blurred, and when it's an objective uh, situation, it doesn't really matter unless you know there's other things that happen that are out of your control. So like everybody can say, hey, this championship, the Big Ten championship matters. If Penn State wins, they're in. Like, that is not true. None of that is accurate. And we're going to see that rear its head this year in a very ugly way, I suspect, because two things, are, I think, are going to happen. The first thing is that there are going to be a lot of one-loss teams that are incredibly well-regarded in college football and have prospects and famous players and alumni that have money and power in both football and life. And I think we're going to have two undefeated non-schools like that. And I think we're going to have a fucking mess because one of those schools has never been historically good. The other one has been and is the reason that we're all enjoying all the points right now. BYU invented the air raid. But Cincinnati, who the hell is Cincinnati? But BYU, their biases are going to be a little different. Nobody wants the Mormons at their bowl. They won't drink, and that's money. Well, And look, I will never credit BYU for anything, ever. (laughs) Okay. I just won't do it. Sure. But... You know, there, there's a lot of truth to what you're saying about these these programs that don't necessarily have the big history. They don't have the huge alumni base. They don't have the reputation. I mean, Coastal Carolina literally doesn't have a football history extending back into, like, the Bush administration. Sure. So, I, I mean, it's it's crazy that, that that, some historical fact that the players and coaches on the team right now have nothing to do with, that reputation gives them a disadvantage on the playing field. It gives them a competitive disadvantage because they're placed in situations where they can't make a championship and they don't control their own destiny ever. And, you know, we've seen this before. This is this exact thing has played out before and the law has gotten involved in 2009. I'm thinking of Utah. Yeah. Utah, Utah knocked some heads in 2009. That was when we had the the BCS system. And and just, you know, in, in case you're listening and wondering what that was and you're not like a college football person, the BCS era was a bowl system wherein we had six big bowl games at the end of the year. That's the Rose Bowl, the Fiesta Bowl, the Sugar Bowl, the uh, Orange Bowl. Uh, I, I, 
which there one were four BCS bowls, and then there was a national championship. So and then the national bowls. the national championship. There's a sixth bowl added. So this is how much I know about college football. The sixth mm-hmm. bowl that was added that everyone thought should have been a BCS bowl during the original four was the Cotton Bowl. The Cotton Bowl. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So during the BCS era, uh, two teams were basically just picked yep. by the AP to go to play in the national championship game, and the winner of that is the national champion. Great. Well, in 2009, Utah was whipping that ass. Sure. They were a bad, bad team. And they didn't get picked to go to the national championship that season, even though there was a team that was playing in it that had losses. Uh, so Utah, the university, well, first of all, the first thing they did was went to the Sugar Bowl, and they absolutely dog-walked Alabama. Well, that's the thing, yes. They so. made that program look like an absolute joke. I mean, it was like, I mean, it's like Michael Jordan posterizing an eighth-grade kid. It, it, they absolutely kicked ass in that game. And so everyone in the whole world can look at the result of that. And, you know, I'm barring the SEC fans out there that make this bullshit excuse about, oh, well, they didn't want to be there because it wasn't the national championship. I- ignoring those morons, anyone can see that Utah ha- absolutely had the right to argue their case that they should have been in contention for the national championship. They just wasn't a mechanism for it because they weren't picked. And the law got involved. Yep. Utah sued the BCS system because uh, on grounds of discrimination, they didn't win. Mm. But, I mean, you know, the university misses out on a lot of money that way. That's a yes. lot of student scholarships that aren't getting fulfilled at the University of Utah. You know, that's a lot of people's livelihoods that are could have been made better if there was a fair system, but there's not. So... They weren't. Well, yeah, and there are many examples of that. This is not the Utah did it previously in 2004, but it was they were such a disruptor that nobody knew what to do. Boise did it multiple times. Right. Um, there was one year that there were five undefeated teams, three of which were not big schools. So what they did is make two of them play each other. And like, okay, well, you guys can go over here and play your little game. And then, you know, the reputation of the third one gets hurt because they get crushed by one of these big schools that only has one loss. It's like there's... There's just so many de facto arguments for what could be and what couldn't be. The, the, I guess the real disheartening thing is, unlike professional baseball, professional football, professional hockey, and professional basketball, you don't control your destiny. Right. And the most American thing ever is controlling your destiny. So when we compare what's going on in Europe, they don't have a salary cap system. So Manchester and London, they have the teams and they win, and that's how English life is. English yep. life is in London. In America... It could be your day. That's how our lives have been put together. Like today, if I work hard and I have some talent, I might not be Bill Gates, but I could be rich or I could be famous or I could be successful. And in college football, the well, I think thing that, is, I think in life that's generally true sure. in a lot of places. That's true in well, London, that's, that's too. That's like our thing. Like this country was founded on we don't have to be under the thumb of the Medicis and the Windsors and the Bourbons. I can that's do true. whatever I want. All right, all right. That's not true right. in college football. And that's the no. thing that sucks. Well, you know, college football, I, I was thinking about this the other day when we were, as I was like preparing for this episode, there's this kind of weird existential thing. Like we've talked about, you got to draw the line somewhere. There are artificial circumstances, you know, and that's, that's true for every game. I mean, somebody makes up a system of rules and tries to figure out the outcome of playing out those rules, right? That's what a game is. Sure. But, you know, football, especially college football runs into the these like naturally occurring circumstances that are going to be present in whatever, however you stack the rules, however you build the system, it runs into this natural problem of there being too many teams and the game of football being too brutal to play more than once every seven to 10 days. And that's, that's like a really interesting thing where we have like the artificial construct of a game brushing up against the human experience in a unique way that I don't think really happens with other sports. Sure. I mean, there are, there are other rough games, you know, basketball is a, 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 it's not a contact sport, but it's a rough sport. You know, you're not going to go out of there you know, scot-free. Hockey, same story. Baseball can be exhausting if you play it for long enough. But, you know, these games can be played a lot more. I mean, they play 82 games in the NBA. They play 82 games in the NHL. You can't do that in football. So, like, the natural limitations of the human condition are brushing up against the need to, like, find an objective champion in this artificial set of rules and i i just think that's the coolest thing about college football it's limited it's certainly limited so yeah i want to i want to talk about solutions to this situation because that mm. i have three solutions all of which two of which are radical and preposterous and one is what's going to happen so the thing that's going to happen is they're just going to expand this thing right which 
eventually the, the theory is that you make 60 or so teams join conferences. There are conferences and that serves as a semifinal. And then there's a semi semifinal and then there's a final and that can theoretically work. However, then again, like, well, who's the 61st team? But if I don't care in college basketball, I don't care in college football. So if that right, was, you got to draw the line somewhere. Fine. Yeah. But whatever. I don't care like that. That would be fine. Like if you're trying to set up a naturally occurring playoff as a result of regional associations, then whatever. That is, and that's what's going to happen. They're expanding. They're looking at six, eight, ten, twelve. I th- I heard that it's going to be eight um, by weeks. It makes or sense. It's just it's just one more round, right? Sure. Yeah. So I think, or I, thought, I also heard six. Like there's going to be a buy. I think or, I think twelve is a pretty popular number too. That's where one, two, and then the top. I mean, top four teams get a buy, and then the bottom eight teams duke it out, or or whatever the math works yeah, out to so be. Th- and the idea of that is like in theory, and I guess someone who watches and, and covers college football like. This year, like Georgia and Alabama are going to annihilate those teams, but you don't remove them from getting an opportunity to do that. And that's right. sort of the bullshit that we're trying to get rid of. So that's number one. Uh, solution number two is what I call the Champions League, which is exactly what it sounds like in Europe, which is multi-year qualifications where you would eventually play a tournament in concurrence with an ongoing season. Now, I love this idea for the following reason. The way that the Champions League or... Champions leagues in Europe work are you have your local team you're say you're in England you have an English league and then if you qualify if you're one of the best teams in the English league you qualify for the opportunity to compete with the best teams in France Germany Italy Russia etc and that they play around robin in a tournament situation at the end this is just, the just real quick change. could you imagine if like the rest of the college football world did like the Japanese teams and the Mexican teams yes, and the British teams did oh incredible I would love to just beat the shit out of some British college football players yes I like, r- rugby is a different story but oh. would be yeah they we did it in 1776 and we'll do it again by god mm, by god but the idea in college football would be that and the reason I like the Champions League is because it gives the managers and the coaches an opportunity to kind of like, oh, well, we have an, a, a chance to win the champions portion against, like, say it was like, I guess this year it would be Notre Dame, Clemson, Alabama, or whatever. So if you're Clemson, you're like, well, our ACC season is screwed. We'll try to beat Alabama. So we'll put, we'll sit all of our best players in this weekly game against Syracuse. And then all of a sudden the Syracuse game becomes really enticing because you're like, well, Clemson doesn't have eligibility for their best players. They're playing their backups. And the reason I like that is because these teams have hundreds of players. And the vast majority of them crazy. will never step foot on the field. Like, this is wearing a also uniform. True. Put them in there. Like, right. You're it's Alabama. Your backup should be able to beat Ole Miss. Let's find out. Like, that's why I like it. And then Did during they the weekend, then you can play Notre Dame. And, like, Notre Dame's like, well, you guys aren't going undefeated, so maybe care about the champions. Like, I think that is interesting. Did, the only thing did, is that football there used to be, like, junior varsity football? Yeah, and this is essentially what it is, is the coach has to decide, like, your player gets four quarters a week. How do you want to do it? That could be fun, and I, I like that part of it. The only problem is that the college, the college athletes, there's like the, at that point, if there are two games a week, even like three or four times a year, at that point, they can't even be students. They'd have to like take a semester right. sabbatical or whatever. But it's that's job. that's one radical solution. But the more interesting radical solution to me is, what if we go back to just voting on it? I I would just I would set myself on fire. Dude, I mean, I mean, my I, team would benefit more than any other. Because people love to say Notre Dame is overrated. First of all, we're not ever. Thank you. And second of all, the bias is way more in favor of the Blue Bloods, like the Irish and the Longhorns. Sure. Like, I mean, it's an East Texas, Coast like bias. Texas ain't back. Texas is a pretty good team. Sure. And they're going to be a pretty good team forever. They're not back. Uh, For me, but people I just like are like, like, oh, the God. The beautiful Texas parts is back. of college football, the, the discussion that you and I are having is relevant to like somewhere between three to 10% of teams. Right. Yeah, like, I don't think Northwestern is ever going to have to worry about this. Right, and even if they did, then they would do their worrying, and then that would happen, and whatever. Like, Stanford had been in that position. Right, Michigan's never going to have to worry about this again. Michigan will never have to worry about this, ever. But, like, as an Ole Miss alum, my goals and expectations for the season in the past, when we were cheating, which now, like, by the way, we were just ahead of the curve is what I'm saying. That's my spin zone. (laughs) That's that journalism education. Yeah, and I also work. don't want to hear any flack from other people. There are schools that are hiding like incredible, preposterous sexual predators, and we we paid some players some cards. Yeah, like, my bad. That could be a different episode. Yeah, like or not whatever. an episode. So, Let's just not talk about that. My expectations are reasonable. Like I want to be competitive with our three rivals heading into the fourth quarter, and I want to win one of them. And if you don't do that two years in a row, I want the coach fired. If we like wind that. up in a conference championship or in a playoff, like hunky dory. I just want Saturdays to be enjoyable. I want to be competitive. 
I want to beat LSU. I want to beat State. I want to beat Alabama. And it doesn't matter what order. And it doesn't matter. Like just 33% is fine with me. Like the Alabama yep. game last weekend, if anybody watched when we were recording this a couple weekends ago, that was adequate. We're not ready to compete with them. They put up a fight. It was good enough. Like on the rope, that's not bad. I'll take it. Got to beat LSU or Mississippi State. Then check off. We'll go to next year. Like those are my expectations. Yeah, that's that's one of the things about college football that I really like that I, I, I kind of wish we would get back to. Like I understand this persistent impulse to figure out who's the best who's the champ whatever and the hyper non-competitive league that we play in where it's like alabama and whoever wants to challenge alabama that year like okay great for alabama i wish my team was in that position but they're not so one of the things i really like about college football is like it has a weird history like conferences have a historical like there's more than just the utility of like maybe getting picked to play in the playoff there's like heated rivalries there there's like institutional memories that go back there that nobody has any like nobody outside this like dynamic has anything to do with but it means something to the people in it like if we lose every game in a season and don't play michigan and beat usc i consider that season a success if we lose to boston college could ruin the year yeah Uh, and i i just love these like localized really really intense things that people can rally around like Purdue and Indiana. Okay. Indiana had a great year last year. That's as good as they're ever going to get Purdue. That's a great point right there. Chris, if I could jump in and say like, it wasn't a great year compared to the system. Right. Right. They had a great year for them, which is, but that's the point. It's, and so they're the, the battle for the old Oaken bucket. Like, I love that they care about that. I, I mean, I'm, I'm fired up for that game too, because I love the sport of football and I love the dynamic of college football. And, you know, that doesn't have anything to do with me or my fandom. You know, I, I don't really care about how either of those teams do. But, damn it, it's a fun game to watch. It's a fun game to be a part of as, like, a fan of the game. Sure. And, like, that's a really terrible example as there are dozens and dozens and dozens of better games than that yeah, one. But yeah, I see yeah. your point. I also I, – and I the, – the, the general theme of this is that in college football, because it's college, because in the United States to go to university – you leave and you live there and you walk the streets with these people and you go to class with the players and the the college football fandom is unlike any fandom anywhere on the planet. I think that it is crazier than any sort of sport because they are you. Theoretically, you could decide, like, I'm going to go try out. And if there are tries, you try out, you make the team, you make the team, whatever. Like, that is theoretically why, like, we're so passionate. It's like simple stories like um, how untapped American Samoa and the, the Pacific Islands were for talent and now... Uh, these, these Pacific Islander players, they move to the United States and their teens and they go to, to college and they do really well. And they, what, what, what these uh, migrants have changed in football, like they, when they're, when they're like older brother, traditionally in a family, if your brother, older brother goes to Oregon, then you go to Oregon and your younger brother goes to Oregon and this family goes to Oregon. That's because that's how it works in Pacific Islander families. Like that kind of tradition and, and family aspect. Or like this high school, they send their players to Auburn. Like these guys, we don't go to Alabama, we go to Auburn. Like I'm good enough to go to Alabama, I'm good enough to go to Texas, I go to Auburn. Like right now, we're seeing Arch Manning, the grandson of Archie Manning. And I know who, where he's going. But he's considering Ole Miss because Manning's play at Ole Miss. That's what you Not do. Not the good ones. The good, the good, that's right, the champions. Not the ones that had to be carried by Von Miller and Marvin Harrison. Yeah, and, and at the end of the day, it's, it's a game. I mean, it's, it's a children's game, and it's, it's supposed to be fun, and it's supposed to mean something to people. You know, Teddy Roosevelt believed that uh, the two best ways to prepare young boys to become young men, number one is to go to war, because Teddy Roosevelt was a psycho, <laughs> and number two is to play football. You know, it's just, it's just a special, special game. Nick, can we close out this episode with talking just a little bit about what I believe to be the dumbest system of determining a champion in these United States of America. Is it a sport or a board game? No, it's a sport. I'm excited. It's, a, it's football. It's high All school right. football. Oh, Nick, we love Wyoming. No, Wyoming. Wyoming we love so Wyoming. Dumb. They have the world's worst system ever designed for a playoff. So in theory, a playoff is supposed to set a bracket of teams that play against one another and determine a champion. We've already discussed that at sure. length. The composition of this bracket should be based on some kind of system wherein you figure out who plays who, who plays whom, I guess, in the first round. Who myth? And that should be based on some kind of seeding, some kind of order where the mm. best team plays the worst team and then they get more toward the middle as the bracket fills out. 
Now, most places in the universe, like every professional sports league and every non-college football college sport, have conference champions, and conference champions go into the playoff seating in a specific order. Wyoming does it kind of similarly. They have divisions within the conference, so right. they'll have a west and an east. Sure. And look, it's a long trip. It takes it, it takes less time for someone to drive from Torrington to Texas than it does from Torrington to Star Valley, and they're in the same conference. Mm. So this silly, ridiculous system is Wyoming takes the East Conference, or the East Division and the West Division, and it splits them up, and it pairs the top team from the East with the bottom team from the West, <laughs> and the top team from the West with the bottom team from the East, and they play each other in the first round. I asked a sports writer about why they do this, and it's because they want to have the best teams playing at the end, and that's the best way to figure it out. First of all, no. no. No, it's not. No. Because the scenario this guy has in mind is like, what if the best teams are all in one division? But second of all, it means the conferences mean nothing. It's it's silly. To, like, why would you have an East and a West if you're going to do it that way? Just pick the top eight teams and put them in a bracket. But yeah. then finally, the reason, like the, the, the cherry on top of the stupidity is... Teams get punished for doing well within their own division. So Green River High School, our boys from back home, go Wolves. Good luck yep. tonight. Yep. They got punished for taking second in their division by having to go and play Torrington on the road. That's like that's like a seven-hour drive on a bus. And they lost the game because they were on the road against Torrington and they should have been hosting. For seven and, hours, which is as long as it takes you to drive to Vegas. Man, that's just... We can't have nice things out there. Yeah, you really can't. So, all right. So they're having this conversation in the NBA. So I'm going to ask you about Wyoming and ask about the NBA. Should they do the playoff by conference at all? Or should they just get the top 16 and say, you're in? They should just get the top two and then let the other teams play while we're waiting for the top two. Correct. And then the Utahns can get mad and sue people and nothing will happen ever. It has it's going to happen again in Utah. Check. Keep your eyes on BYU, Chris. They're about to file a lawsuit. I'm telling you right now. Man, I'm keeping my eyes on BYU. And God, if they never won another game in anything in my life, I'd be a happy man.